I got a beer so I can handle you nerds. <laughs> Lovely. Hello world, I'm your lockout girl. It's misbehavior. Welcome listeners to the Misbehavior Journal Club. I'm Amiel Moreno, here to tell you this is part two of a series on consciousness that we've recorded. If you'd like to go in order... You can go to part one, which is episode 55, or continue on with part two, this episode 56. I'll now allow my other co-hosts to introduce themselves. Leah Kravit, Banff. Nicole Davies, NPC, not particularly conscious. And Tom Hayes, recurring character. And we're three and a half scientifically trained and certifiably funny people bringing you the behind the scenes look at the latest neuroscience research with humor thought experiments, and humanity. I'm the ugly Backstreet Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Including a joke that will only make sense if you listened to the first episode. Please enjoy. Just not remembering. I don't know, man. There's, I'm like... there's too much examples in the animal world of consciousness. If you go with the definition of it in the podcast that Nicole listened to. Yes, that was such a great segue. Uh, (laughs) and and talking about memory makes me think of stuff I want to say. So awkward. So, 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 so (laughs) (laughs) Phil Collins, you just talked a lot now about, uh, I'm calling you Phil Collins, Amiel. I got it. (laughs) About, uh, like neuroscientists and how they were like, we're going to figure out consciousness in the brain and maybe we won't give a very good definition of it. And then we listened to this podcast, uh, the Big Biology Podcast, with a book, Evolution of the Sensitive Soul. There's a lot of talk about philosophy. If you know one joke about philosophers, it's that they're going to ask you how to define something. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Doesn't it beg the question? Yes. No, you beg the question. (laughs) (laughs) Your mom begs the question. You're the one one begging. (laughs) So, so... so... Dio. (laughs) Damn it. <laughs> so 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 Dio. I I'm gonna be pro philosopher for the purposes of this podcast at least. I will allow and it. And we can we can talk more about when philosophers are not good. And I think Tom listened to a podcast that he might bring up where there was some talk of that. I might. I think it can be useful to what what is good, I think, is when philosophers do force us to think about what our definitions are. Because to me that the J neuroscience paper that we just talked about, we didn't talk about that. It's a, it's like a, from a symposium at the Society for Neuroscience meeting. Mm-hmm. And to me, when I see that on a paper, I immediately think, oh, 20 people wrote this after they talked at this meeting. And the, each one of them was like, I want to get my pet idea in there, <laughs> <laughs> right? Which, which colors how I read it. When I read a review, that's like one person, I have two ideas in mind. I'm like, this person went off alone in the wilderness and thought <laughs> and they questioned their entire existence like Rene Descartes. And then, and then they were like, okay, here's what I got. Or they were like, oh shit, it's the end of my postdoc. I got to get a paper out. Here's all, <laughs> here's all of my notes. <laughs> and then you read that, you read that review and you're like, oh, you gave me a list of references with sentences. In it. Thank you. <laughs> You should be able to publish a standalone annotated bibliography. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I find it useful. I'm not even, I'm, I'm only being half sarcastic. 
So, so like, philosophers can be useful because they, they will do that thing that a good review does where they're like, we got to think about our definitions. Mm. It's bad. It's bad when they get too full of themselves and they're like, I'm just going to think about my words and figure everything out that way. And I'm never going to talk to scientists. So, uh, take us through the main points of the origins of consciousness. Yeah, so they're not philosophers, but they're going to take a, an approach that is like philosophy, sort of starting from nothing. They're actually taking an evolutionary approach, and that's why they were on big biology. Mm -hmm. But at the beginning, they talk about how consciousness was defined in philosophy. That's sort of like what they're up against, right? And so we have to say something about philosophy. And what I want to say with the caveat that I've taken one philosophy of mind course in undergrad with Daniel Weisskopf, a uh, charming Shout out man. to Dan Dan. Yeah, Dan Dan. Let's pretend that we're like in a f armchair, like a philosopher in the 1800s sitting next mm -hmm. to our, our fire uh, because we're independently wealthy white men who have nothing better to do and with our lives. And we're not sitting on two cinder blocks stacked on top of each other. Yeah. <laughs> but my feet are up on an ottoman that's actually an elephant's foot that has been taxidermied. <laughs> right. A real <laughs> yes. elephant's foot, yes. You, what kind of pipe are you imagining yourself having? Ivory. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> so taking a puff off the ivory pipe and trying to define a consciousness a priori. And uh, so we hate this as neuroscientists. We hate philosophers because we want to like go do some experiments and have a pile of facts and then we decide things based on the pile. <laughs> but, but Descartes was, I conjecture, that he was the laziest neuroscientist because he was like, how can I avoid ever doing an experiment or going to the lab? <laughs> so he was like, I got it. I'm just going to sit in this chair and convince myself I have a soul. Because I think, so clearly I must have a soul. And that's just connected to my body through the pineal gland, you know. So my brain is just there warming the pineal gland. Bam! Done! It's fun to say. Yeah. Pineal gland. It's not the pineal so, gland. So, um, you guys don't... That's how I heard it, too. It's yeah. It's, pineal. Maybe it's the, there's a difference the between penis. males and females, Leah. Ah, oh, the one difference. Yeah. Right. You hear it, pineal gland. Yeah. People get mad if you put it on pizza. Is all <laughs> Your penis? <laughs> Yes. Uh, one personal weenus. Can Thank we you. talk about how to? <laughs> can we talk about how tempting it is when you're removing a raw brain from a mouse or a rat? Um... Well, <laughs> yeah, where is this going? Faster! <laughs> I was just what? I'm still laughing at. Gonna... I'm still laughing at one personal weenus. Yes, I'm still I'm still having fun with Weenus over here too. Okay, that's fair. My personal bad. Go, go ahead. Uh, raw mouse and rat brains look extremely tasty when they're in there. Oh yeah, we both thought it. Yeah. I've never thought of usually yeah. the smell of formaldehyde or some other chemicals very Ooh, present yeah. and making me not hungry. Yeah, no, you got to get them fresh. I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> can you not say that with so much verb? I, I'm just glad she stopped eating babies. She can start eating brains. <laughs> yeah, no, you gotta try them fresh. Super good. <laughs> the forbidden almond. So, so, <laughs> the, the forbidden peanut from the pigeon. Uh, so, 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 some of us are eating brains. Some of us are avoiding. <laughs> some of us are. So, 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 some of us are avoiding eating brains, or even doing uh, brain experiments. We start out with Descartes, who gives us dualism. 
Then we start to realize, like, no, we got to admit the brain is in there somewhere. But uh, Chalmers comes along, and they super specifically mention him. <laughs> yes, yeah, Super, super Nintendo Chalmers. <laughs> yeah. Right. So infamous philosopher Super Nintendo Chalmers, who by who by the way looks like he's in a prog rock band that's still touring in twenty twenty two. I'm looking up a picture like, right now. Yeah, please look at him. He looks like. The King Crimson of Consciousness. King Crimson of Consciousness. Right? He's like hey, he's like the Brian. That's another drink. Yeah. <laughs> that's in the philosophy lab, King. though. Do they have a lab? Why would they have? A- <laughs> they do. It it's a it's a closet with an espresso machine. That's the philosophy lab. <laughs> I'm not and even joking. A sense joking. of smug self satisfaction. <laughs> oh dear Go God! I pulled up a picture of him. I think I've seen him on Ancient Aliens. What? <laughs> yeah. I'm probably gonna pull him up. Yeah, he looked. He looks a lot like the ancient aliens guy. So you all look at him. I'm going to tell you what he thinks about consciousness. But I'm going to do it badly because it's been a long time since I've thought about him and I'm just regurgitating what I heard on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, Basically, wow. he, he he argues that there's this, what he calls the hard problem of consciousness. Man. So there's the easy... <laughs> There's the easy problem. The hard problem is like, he's basically still pushing for this weak form of dualism where he's like, there's qualia, which the technical definition of that is like a subjective qualitative experience, like a feeling. Like the brain manufactures qualia and the fact that I have these I do see that he's Australian, so you at least have to say it's qualia. Like a koala. <laughs> Perfect. Right. A raw feel is the a koala. quaka. It's basically... A koalia. It's like a feeling, but it, <laughs> it doesn't have a placenta. It keeps its babies in a sack. It's a vibe. It's a marsupial... I don't know um, what's yeah. going on. Feeling. <laughs> a koala is a marsupial feeling, a marsupial right? feeling. It's a subjective property of experiences. It's uh, a vibe. Yeah. And, uh, okay. It's a vibe. It's just a vibe, bro. <laughs> And and what Chalmers wants to argue is because the brain has vibes, those vibes require like a new force of nature. We can't explain them from brain, from physics. Because that would involve need a new... being made of stuff, which obviously we're more special than. Yes. Yeah, we're more special than that. We have vibes. So did dolphins, vibes are not made of stuff. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, <laughs> dolphin vibes. You're talking about the... Ripfish? I don't like him already. <laughs> Yeah, basically he saw he saw being John Malkovich. He was like, "There's a Sorry, there's I'm a." Also, I was not calling Chalmers a bitch. Man. I was calling some hypothetical human exceptionalist a bitch. <laughs> That's not how I'm going to edit it, though. <laughs> that, <laughs> <laughs> they're one in the same. And then okay, so finally Daniel Dennett comes along and he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm going to write a book. It's called Consciousness Explained." He always comes along. He's got something he to say about Him everything. Fucking books. <laughs> yeah, I read I read one of his books and it just seemed so smug and unnecessarily dense. Well, I mean, I, I would say that Consciousness Explained is a humble title. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> oh, there yeah. it is. Here, how everything works by me. It just says the parietal lobe. <laughs> yeah, right. You, you, it's one page. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this is not even a complete sentence. How did you get this published? Well, <laughs> All Chalmers says is, Aliens right. in his book. <laughs> <laughs> and they just say it to each other when they're debating on stage. <laughs> yes, Pariolope! Just... Aliens. Uh, so, 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 Aliens. It's like the debating just community. Like this podcast is the debate. Pop, pop. Pariolope. <laughs> pop, pop. Pariolope. <laughs> pop, pop. Pariolope. Oh, damn. All right. Well, those are our three speakers today. Uh, 
if I seem distracted just now, I was trying to find a tweet that I saw years and years ago and flagged out of love. Uh, it was something along the lines of someone has a restraining order because of one too many times that they stood outside Daniel Dennett's window and uh, shouted about what it's like to be a bat. <laughs> not going to do it justice. But <laughs> That's uh, That was yeah. Thomas Nagel Good old who wrote Nagel. that. Oh, that what is Nagel. it like to be a bat? But Dennett did have stuff to say about it, if I recall correctly. I, th- I think they were wearing a bat mask. I don't know. I'll never find it, but I, I needed to offload onto you, Thank you that experience. I want to find that, that tweet. Be a... I mean, that pretty much sums up, that sums I up my too. life. I do too. That's amazing. Guys, not right now. Can we... i got to explain <laughs> consciousness. Okay. So Yeah, just do that real, real fast. Quick. Go on. <laughs> so Get basically he has this multiple drafts theories of consciousness, which makes a lot of sense and lines up with what a neuroscientist would say. You know, there's there's a bunch of stuff going on in the brain and then sort of post, post hoc, uh-huh. the brain is like, yeah, this is what I experienced just now. Like all this stuff comes up from the bottom and then it right. sort of tells you a story about what you're experiencing. Mm. So that is... Multiple drafts yeah. theory. What are the multiple drafts? That's like all the other parts of your brain are, are reporting out and then eventually your brain has to like write the final draft based on what all the other parts are saying. Based on yeah. the material. Cobble this together into something yeah. cohesive. It's like when someone tells you to close your eyes and picture a draft, there are like different patternings and there are big ones and small ones and there are ones in fields and ones in zoos and ones in the brush. So like your brain has to be able to handle multiple drafts. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you forever. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Fuck you is that what you said? Okay. And uh, finally, we get to Ginsburg Galoba. <laughs> Ginsburg Jablonka. So these are the authors. So they're not going to be philosophers. They're going to be taking this evolutionary approach. And what they want to do is sort of the same thing people did when they asked, like, when did life start? So, so, so it was fruitful to think about that in terms of evolution, too. Like, where do you go from a virus to a cell and how does that happen? Mm-hmm. So they basically went off and this book literally took 10 years to write. And what they come up with is a marker of basic or minimal consciousness. And going back to the neuroscience paper, like they don't give a very strict definition of consciousness. And that's why it's sort of unsatisfactory because they mm. it's like everything in the kitchen sink in there. So in contrast, they're trying here in this book to be like, we just want a minimal consciousness. Like if I look at evolution, where's the first thing that I see in an animal? And I'm like, okay, we got to agree. That's, that's like the bare minimum consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, and the title sensitive soul is trying to relate that back to how it turns out that annoyingly the Greeks were right and they had good ideas, even if they didn't know why. So, so like Aristotle, I think it's Aristotle, not Plato, one of the Greek dudes, basically had this like, what he calls a, it's a teleology. They say this is a teleology constituting framework, the, their th- way of coming up with consciousness. This is all going to make sense in a, <laughs> Can't this wait. Is all gonna make sense in a second. So, so Aristotle's like, yeah, teleology, like this is a thing that makes goals. That's what teleology means, right? The lowest level, the lowest telos, if you will, is like a plant. A plant's goal is to like make enough energy to not die, right? It just sits there and it photosynthesizes, or maybe if it's extra fancy, it eats a fly, right? But it's not like <clears throat> out and doing stuff. What? Wait, what? They do a shit ton of yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. very anti-plant. I, bu- 
I, I believe you. Anti-foliage. But what they want to say based on evolution, basically when you start to get learning, and, and what they argue is what they call universal associative learning, which mm-hmm. that, is, that is when you start to get this next level of consciousness. In between this like minimal consciousness is where you can just, because of learning, they want to say, we can go into this, but what they want to say is because of learning, you can like flexibly form goals. So if you have some association, like I uh, heard the bell ring and then I started to salivate for food because I know that every time the bell rings, I'm going to get food like in Pavlov's dogs. That lets you start to like form these goals flexibly based on what you've learned. So, hmm. so once you have a nervous system that lets you do that, that's like enough to have these feels that can give you consciousness, these qualia. Uh, while I was reading that, reading the transcript, it occurred to me that I need to get a definition of learning under yeah. control. That's the, prob- I, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I feel like this has come up in some class somewhere and I should have had a response, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm immediately thinking of an example of learning in plants where you look at the histone uh, scintillations of them when they've experienced droughts versus not and that guiding their future um, plant behavior. Right, right. So like at an epigenetic level, they're they're sort of learning across generations. Epigenetic th- learning, which we've already established in mammals. Don't we have single cell learning? Didn't paper just come out about that? And there was some sort of hubbub? Am I definitely there's, there's, making that up? No, no, you're not making that up. I forget which single cell organism it is. There's multiple, like, people also study paramecians for the same reason, that they're, it's kind of like, you can think of it as like a single neuron. And so people will look at how it, air quotes, learns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that... Uh, I believe it was Jablanca said that I, I thought was a good explanation of UAL universal associated learning is that say you've, you've got a disparate stimuli and they don't have to be in a specific situation for the organism to react a certain way. Uh, they can look at stimuli in unique combinations or whatnot. Like um, maybe the organism sees a environment where there's food and in another situation they see food and then they also see a competitor and another one they say food and a predator they're in different situations each time but the animal uh, because of universal associated learning is able to dynamically react to the specific situation because they're able to categorize and lend weight to the unique circumstances these different elements are uh, synthesize it's the ability to synthesize yeah Yeah, when alex the parrot can pick out not just the blue objects and not just the Mm. blocks on a tray of green and blue but how but the blue objects might interact with or just the green spheres yeah he can do that but he won't call you the next day (laughs) what a dick what he kept i thought he was calling me pretty bird (laughs) (laughs) well uh, you you have alex the parrot the gray parrot's phone number well, obviously he doesn't have mine. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm sorry you got ghosted by a gray parrot. <laughs> but Literally ghosted. Yeah. But no, Tom, that, that was a perfect explanation. And I think it's, it's what's different. Like it's easy for us. And this is what they're doing, I think, in this book. It's easy for us to imagine that when you get that kind of learning going on where you're like, I saw this predator in the same place. So I know that if I hang out in this place, I'm probably going to run into this predator again. That feels... But there's food there. Yeah. So it starts to feel like the animal has a feeling, a, an awareness, a subjective qualia or whatever 
that represents like this place, this predator, this food. That's different. Like I don't, I don't imagine. Even though a plant can learn across generations, I don't imagine that a plant is like, it's cold again, right? <laughs> like that's all no, they do. Yeah, that are you fucking they, they, they move they, around uh, until they find it, and then they I go don't think towards they, it. I don't imagine or that like they, those fucking aphids are at it again. Then, I do not believe that a plant is like those fucking aphids. They can hear the vibrations uh, of the. All right, we're getting really sidetracked into the plant thing. I think the women here. I want the, to say something germane to the topic. Women are definitely seeing consciousness in plants, and that's uh-huh. okay. I don't know if I'd go that. God I, damn it, I, Leah! You'll never agree with so, anything I say. I'm sorry. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you. I'll meet you. I don't know that I. I, I can't I can't find a distinction in consciousness between me and a plant. And that doesn't mean I think plants have consciousness. <laughs> I think I'm just an exceptionally well organized plant pile of stuff. But is this is this is this the case where we need a different word because consciousness is just too Loaded. Yeah. I'm down for that. So I, I just wanna say as a man and a philosopher, I think plants can't be conscious because they don't have a pineal Good. gland. Yeah, so, perfect. <laughs> uh, oh, right. So, it's so, so yeah, I, I do think that like their main claim is that it's all about universal associative learning. But the problem with mm-hmm. that, as you pointed out, Leah is or Leah, uh, is that Leah, as you pointed out, Leah G G Leah, is that G Leah. How do you define learning? Yeah, A- and I'll stop rambling about this now, and we should let you ramble instead. Me no. <laughs> Come, come on, motherfucker! That is not I want to hear about these glia. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want to hear okay. about uh, the historical perspective too. I thought that was a really interesting thing that you had to bring to the because we're we're talking high level what what things are going on right now when we're discussing this. But you you get like this really great like vertigo when you start to realize how far we've come on this topic. That's a great way to put it. Vertigo. Yeah. So I fired up the old Goog Skull. And, oh my god, I hate that. <laughs> fired up the old Goog Skull. <laughs> I stuff up on the <laughs> internet. Let's see. And I, I don't know why this is, but um, so I searched uh, consciousness brain with no date range. <laughs> Great. Love it. That's weird. I only got five papers. Just gotta start somewhere. <laughs> Brain conscious. I just downloaded yeah. all of PubMed. Just starting. Fire bad? <laughs> well, oh, what happens when you type fire bad? Fire bad. Mark into Google Scholar. In Google Let's Scholar. <laughs> Please. Yes. Yes. I, I want to know the first, second, this and third. This paper is just called first Particles one. There. Yes. Good fire, <laughs> bad fire. Yes. It depends on who burns. <laughs> That's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> second one is consciousness seems like a very minor problem right now. Is fire always the bad guy? Question mark. <laughs> and the third one is firing costs and labor demands. How stupid economics. Get out of here. Are they talking about firing yeah, employees? Firing, it's an economics paper. Oh, shit. That one has 2,000 citations. I'm backing up. I'm going to give it wow. proper, and I'm going to say the entire title. Firing costs and labor demands. How bad is eurosclerosis? I think that's a play on Europeans. Hardening of the European yield gland? <laughs> hey! Awesome. Good shit. Um... This is this is a new thing. <laughs> I'm looking at um, fire bad, water good. <laughs> uh, 
on, team water. I'm considering team the Frankenstein banana. <laughs> keep going, and you'll have a Captain Planet. <laughs> we can keep going on this. Like I am loving this, but just for the for the sake of forward momentum, the the fourth result that I got was a uh, Koch and Tushia, uh, 2007 article titled "Attention and Consciousness: Two Distinct Brain Processes," and I flagged that because it seems like it would answer some uh-huh. questions that I had, and then I didn't read it, because why would I Good do that? Good forward momentum. But another... <laughs> Towards where? That was the question I should have asked. Where? <laughs> twirling, twirling, Always twirling, twirling towards... Eh? <laughs> um, but one article that I, find that, I, that I found that I did read most of was... Uh, 1956 British Journal of Psychology article by UT Place asking, is consciousness a brain process? Someone's got to ask. Truly. Apparently. Apparently. <laughs> also, I, I, I don't know why this happened, but when I skimmed it, when I skimmed the results page <laughs> and I saw that title, I initially read, is consciousness a brain injury? <laughs> um, Perfect. And that's what drew me to it initially. I would read that. I mean, is it a curse? I think it's a curse. <laughs> it feels pretty curse-like. It's It is a curse, at yeah. Best it's a monkey's paw wish. <laughs> like, mm. That's wow. the hierarchy. That is a succinct way to put it. Consciousness, the monkey paws that, that humanity was cursed with. I won't do a major overview of the paper. But it was just really weird to see someone having to lay out the case that we're made of stuff and that stuff does stuff. Like that you can study what he didn't have the language to call the neural correlates. That you can study the neural correlates of an experience without placing certain logical demands on them. Uh, A lot of basic perceptual stuff like... The supposition has to be, it would seem, two continuous series of events, one physico-chemical and the other psychical, and at times interaction between them. That's him quoting Sherrington from 1947, being kind of a fucking duelist. Sounds like it. He's not really concise. The one sentence that I saw in his conclusion that seemed to sum it up was, we realize that there is nothing that the introspecting subject says about his conscious experience, which is inconsistent with anything the physiologist might want to say about the brain processes, which cause him to describe the environment and his consciousness of that environment in the way he does. Yeah. Which is basically saying... There are physical mechanisms that are causing consciousness. And, th- and that there can be. And that they don't have to... Be, the, yeah, the things that a person describes don't have to be an exact match to the things that they are experiencing. Mm. But um, it's bonkers that you used to have to argue that. <laughs> Life used to be worse. Did yeah. you see in that... Because I didn't read the whole thing. Did you see in that anywhere uh, him summarizing the arguments against him and then... Like, so that we have a little bit of a point of view from what somebody saying this would be going up against. Sure. Um, I can give, I think, one of my favorite lines from the paper. There, here's one, one fallacy that he lays out. 
Uh, if we assume, for example, that when a subject reports a green afterimage, he is asserting the occurrence inside himself of an object which is literally green, it is clear that we have on our hands an entity for which there is no place in the world of physics. And I just love that phrase. It, it's just a classic counterexample. Like, here's a thing that couldn't be. An entity that is <laughs> green? I couldn't get past that. What? Can you, yeah, can you explain it in, in fire bad terms for, <laughs> yeah, for, for the layperson over here? Yeah, explain it for Tom. <laughs> Tom, are you still conscious I, right now? Was he ever? I won't remember this, so maybe not. Uh, I can explain it using the author's own words, which are, uh, which follow, uh, a ways. Did you just do that? <laughs> oh. Uh, when we describe the afterimage as green, we are not saying that there is something, the afterimage, which is green. We are saying that we are having the sort of experience which we normally have when, and which we have learned to describe as, looking at a green patch of light. So it's like, if I, if I close my mind, if, <laughs> if I close my eyes and say I'm picturing... If I close my mind forever. <laughs> if I close my mind and say I'm picturing an apple right now. I'm not saying there's a fucking apple in my head. I'm saying I'm engaging the neural correlates yeah. that are often active. Oh, when it's I'm the oh, idea of an apple. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's kind of like the thought experiment I've heard of like, uh, okay, imagine a pirate. And then you say, okay, I'm imagining a pirate. And then you say, um, does the pirate have a parrot on his shoulder? Yeah, oh, well, I guess it does now. And you realize I didn't picture a specific mental image of a pirate. I pictured the archetype the idea of of a of a pirate i think that's what he's trying to say like that that little passage about the difference between having an experience and having an external stimulus be there this is a thing that you used to have to write about as a possibility and now we're reading this 2017 paper being like yeah okay so what's that like when you get probes in there and stuff like life used to be worse <laughs> before you could get the probes out you apparently had to argue with a bunch of numpties <laughs> yeah what is a numpty numpties uh so in the acknowledgements the the other thing that i would enjoy quoting um in the acknowledgements of this paper uh the author the author gives thanks to mr obi martin for his persistent and searching criticism of my earlier attempts to defend the thesis that consciousness is a brain process <laughs> jesus christ and also, uh, among other people, uh, gave acknowledgement to Professor J.J. O. Smart for moral support and encouragement in what often seemed like a lost cause. This seemed like a lost cause! J.J. <laughs> o. Smart? Yes. <laughs> really buried the lead there. That's, that, that's what I got caught up on. Okay. So, so Uterine Place would like to thank Jesus Christ Smart. Uh... <laughs> Who's Dumpty? What, what, yeah, we just, never got an explanation for Dumpty. Dumpty, Dumpty. We don't think what was consciousness it? is a thing that a, a brain can do without help from the beyond. Where did you find that word? Where did it come from, Leah? Is it a reference the, to something? Is it like a brain tick that happened just now? Is it something you've um, always said? Who's going to win the Dumpties this year? Context in which I've heard it, I can, like that's a memory that I can recall. Before okay. that, I just kind of generally knew it was a word, but I don't have any other instances of being exposed to it. Are you having... So you weren't conscious Are you having then? a neural correlate of numpties um, right now? I'm having a neural correlate of your face. Is it a... 
Oh. Literally. <laughs> you are. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Experiencing like his face right now. <laughs> Still not fuckable. Fan fine. Uh, oh. Can I just say, like, I, I think you're right that I'm not fuckable. And that, uh, <laughs> that um, there's this point that he's making about like oh right it's your your language is shorthand for i'm having a neural correlate of this thing i've experienced in the past but also there's this baggage that is not i think explicit in the paper of like other philosophers i think the first sentence you quoted where he's like it could be that uh this thing is not uh, a thing that's in the world is you know that's like qualia too you can read it that way so he's like reacting to people that are would would want to argue that when I self-report, it shows that there's a qualia that and that qualia has to like exist out in the ether as its own force. But he's like, no, it's just a brain thing. <laughs> so so I I see some of that in this paper, but it's it's interesting that he doesn't name names. He names like who wouldn't uh, Wittgenstein? I think in the. I was just going to say, it sounds like Wittgenstein's uh, explanation of language as an imperfect way to get uh, to, to communicate, but it's all that we, we have. Because without being able to share the phenomenological experience of another individual, uh, you can't say exactly and expect someone to exactly to, to, to understand. Who are you and what did you do with he Tom? It like a, <laughs> you've never let me talk about philosophy to you. <laughs> Anytime I brought it up, you're like, bullshit. Anyway, what do you want for dinner? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to work doing actual science. Wittgenstein described language as everyone having their own personal beetle in a box. You can look at the beetle, but you can never show of everybody else what that beetle looks like. I can say, oh, mine is green. Oh, is he iridescent? Yeah, he's iridescent with flecks of red. Ooh, I'll bet you that's cool. I think I get what you're saying. Okay, well, my beetle is, is, is jet black, and he's got little dots of blue on him, and his name is Fred. <laughs> So you can understand what the other person's beetle looks like, but you can never experience You're it You're quoting directly. verbatim Channeling. from Wittgenstein right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was the, Dr. I Seuss. <laughs> there's a beetle in a box, and the box is <laughs> socks, and the socks are for battles, and the battles with the beetles. <laughs> yeah, and the beetle's red, and his name is Fred. These beetles have stars on their Sorry, These Is there a not. good argument for ethereal qualia? Okay. No. Just check. <laughs> Just check. <laughs> Just to make sure. Okay. No. And with that, why don't we take it over to uh, what Tom brought to the podcast today that we referenced earlier, this uh, interview with Churchland. Thank you so much for joining us for part two of our series on consciousness. Part three will be coming out in two weeks, followed by regular scheduled episodes varying in topics and brought to you with love from the Misbehavior Journal Club. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget to misbehave. Misbehave.